Hey there, welcome to Shades and Layers, episode 8 of season 3 on creative entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Kutlanos Kasana Ritchie. It's been one hell of a time on my end with some health challenges thrown somewhere in the mix. All good and hopefully stays that way for a while. In this episode, my guest is digital collage artist Puleng Mongale, who explores her identity and womanhood through self-portraits that fuse all the imaginary worlds she yearns for. She uses her work to go deeper into her roots, the roots that she was partially denied growing up in an urban environment divided along cultural lines. She grew up in the township of Soweto, just outside the big city of Johannesburg. Her images reflect her thoughts about what her immediate environment was in the past, what it is now in the city, her ancestral home, and all the parts of her heritage that were never mentioned or acknowledged while she was growing up. And in our conversation, we speak a lot about displacement, fragmentation, radical self-acceptance, living life with curiosity, and how her art is part of her healing journey. There was still a lot to explore and talk about in the end, but time is what it is and we had to stop somewhere. Nevertheless, you will not be disappointed by this conversation. I had lots of fun and it was amazing. So let's start at the beginning and please do enjoy. Okay. So my work is what I call digital art, uh, mainly because um, it's created on like my computer. So um, I describe it as um, digital collage artwork. And it's basically fragments of everything. It's memory work for me. It's imagined, uh, imaginary work as well, but also trying to fuse it with my own experiences and my own um, realities and feelings. Um, I think that's the best way I can describe it. It's putting a lot of things together. I mean, having grown up without necessarily not having like a family archive. Mm. So most of my work is about that. It's about just putting worlds together and imagining how things could have been or had I been included um, in those days or in those kind of like life events that I sort of like portray in my artwork. So it helps me fill a void. Um, mm. I grew up with like a really big void, which I understood as um, depression for a very long time. And I mean, I've been diagnosed and admitted on medication, mm. but somehow after I found like a place in like art and in my expression, mm. it seems to have subsided, you know, but yeah, it just always was this void that I always carried, but thankfully art helps me mm. fill it up. What, 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 yeah, what triggered that feeling of, you know, missing something? Ooh, I can't really tell you exactly, but I do remember that it's something that's been there since I was a child. Mm -hmm. um, always feeling different, always feeling displaced. Yeah, always being the different cousin or the different little girl um, in the family to a point where even because I grew up with my grandmother a lot and it's sort of like some. She had to shield me in a lot of like instances. She could see that thing was in me, even though we didn't really have the language for it. And she always felt the need to sort of like protect me. If an aunt would say a remark, she was the first person to answer on my behalf if she felt that it was sideways or something. But it just was always there. I mean, I've done therapy and stuff to try and get to like the bottom of it, but not really, um, because I remember I stayed with my grandmother until I was eight years old. And then my parents came and were like, OK, we've got a new home and we'd like to take our child. 
And I remember my grandmother just being so distraught. She had bought me uniform to go to a school next year and all of that. And she was just like, you can't take my baby away. And they were just like, but we also can't live without our child. And that's when I started to live with like my parents, both of them full time. Mm -hmm. They had a very weird relationship. There were times when my dad was never really there. And then sometimes he would come back and then leave us again, that type of thing. And then he came out of nowhere at one point because we hadn't stayed with him for like two years. And he was like, I got us a house. And I remember family members just like telling my mom, no, you have to go. And my mom was like, but I've moved on with my life. And they were just like, no, but this is a big commitment he's making. It's a sign, you know, do it, do it. Mm. And then we moved and then stayed with my father. And then it was a family of three. But I just was never quite okay ever since I left my grandmother. Right. Right. Okay. So she was the center, the foundation that was uh, kind of yanked from underneath you. Truly. And I had like a very holistic life when I lived with her because it was a family home. I had my uncles, my aunts, and everybody had a role to play. I don't remember making my own food, coming back from school. Somebody (laughs) would do it for me. Polishing my shoes. Somebody did that for me. Giving me a bath in the morning. Somebody played that part. My hair, all of those things. So having that little community then being taken away and having to start afresh in a whole new place, you know, was, yeah, it was quite tricky, even though I was only eight at the time, but it really did shape yeah. the person I would then become. Yeah. So the person that you have become, how did you come to um, what you do, your work today? Like, is this something that you've always wanted to do uh, or is it a stumble upon? Hmm, a bit of both. So growing up, I've always been expressive. And I was a child. I, my mother didn't really buy me like toys, dolls and things like that. But she was always bought me like books, dictionaries, paints, um, yeah, coloring books. That's Mm. how we played. So on a weekend, that's how we bonded. We'd color in and have like a contest. I'd write love letters to my mother while she's doing the washing. So when she's Mm -hmm. done with the washing, I'd give her like these love letters. So that's how I knew I've always been expressive, you know. Mm. And then in high school, it came about. I used to like cutting up my clothes. I thrifted in her closet like a lot. I always (laughs) wanted things to be a particular way. (laughs) And I hated shopping because I could never find what I felt sit, like would sit well on my body. So I yeah. had to make my own things, mm-hmm. even though they were trash. But I wore them with confidence because I felt like at least this feels like me. So I got a scholarship in high school uh, and I got it through English. So I did well in English and mm-hmm. I loved writing. Mm-hmm. So when I got to high school, I had a very great teacher who then introduced me to poetry and literature and just took her time with me. And mm-hmm. that became my outlet, well, my most accessible outlet, um, because our school was also like very academic. We didn't really have art class and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, she advised me. She was like, no, I think you should study like something in literature or whatever. And then I went on and I did my degree in English and communication science. So I thought I'd grow up to be a writer. It's the one thing I worked so hard to achieve. And then that's what also got me into copywriting. Mm. And then I worked in advertising as a copywriter. I knew I wanted to do something creative, but I didn't have access to what was out there. I didn't know, you know. Mm. Um, Mm. So that's why I can't say I stumbled upon it. I feel like I've always wanted to do something aligned with what I'm doing right now but mm. I just didn't have uh, resources and access I didn't have reference I it didn't exist in my world what I'm currently doing right now I could have never imagined it but somehow I feel like the journey was always leading up to that I had right. to find it and you know it had to find me and when that happened 
it was the right fit, even though it took me like 28 years <laughs> to do that. <laughs> hey, sometimes it takes much longer, so. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. But photography, I mean, when did you pick up the camera eventually and, you know, what resonated? What is it about that medium that resonated with you? Okay, so I went to Umuzi. Umuzi is, uh, it was a photo club at the time, but they mm-hmm. had decided to expand and add copywriting, social media and graphic design. Mm -hmm. So I went there being a copywriter, but I was always surrounded by photographers. A lot of my friends are photographers. So I always, you know, they always ask, can can I make a portrait of you? And I'd always pose whatever, be the subject and do all of those things. But never, ever imagining that one day I'd be the one behind the camera. It seems so technical. And I'm like, uh, I got like a phobia for tech. I don't know. I've just always been that person. Like, yeah. But <laughs> I never, right? I, I was never like really, it, it scared me. It intimidated me. And I always thought I'd break something. I was always that person. <laughs> No buttons, please. <laughs> yes, no, no, no. So one day I just approached them. So I go home often to the free state. And every time I go home, my grandmother would always give me like things like dresses. And she'd tell me the stories behind these, like how I got this. My grandmother never used to buy clothes. Um, all her clothes came from her cousins in Johannesburg and they would be sent to her and posted. And then also she worked as a domestic worker in the little town for a long time. So her bosses always hand me downs. Mm. She always got those. So she'd always unfair like the full squad and whatnot, you know, and she's like, when you go out with your friends, wear this. And I'm like, no, it's not that kind of dress. But thank you for giving me these, you know. And she'd tell me, my boss gave me this, the magistrates, like child gave me this one. So yes, this is, you know. Um, so I would take them. But one day I came back with them and I was like, actually, I want to do something like in remembrance of my grandmother, you know, so um, and her stories that she's told me. So I approached two guys at Umuzi who are my friends then, Homoto and Bandi, and I was like, guys, can you help me shoot something? Mm-hmm. And like, what do you want to do? And then I took them through it. I was like, no, I want to do this. My grandmother gave me some stuff. I have all these things that, you know, I have and you can use them as props. And they're like, you don't really know what you're doing, but let's give it a shot. And yeah, we did. And that worked out, you know, it was great. Well, I assumed the role of art director because I couldn't shoot. So right. then fast forward, I get retrenched in 2019. Hmm. But uh, then in my job, I had already taken like this keen interest in Im- images and photography and styling and fashion and all of those things. So at work, I'd be working, but I'd be on like my Instagram and Pinterest and checking out all these cool things. <laughs> and the one time I stumbled upon a collage <laughs> And it was by um, an artist, Unetelie Baning. And I was, and I showed this to my partner. I'm like, who's also a creative, by the way. And mm. I was like, look at this. This is so beautiful. Like, I wish I could do this. And he said to me, well, I can teach you how to do that. Cool. And I was like, oh, how do we do it? So then we started planning studio sessions at his studio every Sunday because we also have a child. Mm. So we take our son and then drive to the studio every Sunday. It became like a ritual. So oh, we get nice. to the studio. And then he'd show me, yeah, the child, our child would just play and then we'd be on the computer. And it's like, this is how you do it. This is Photoshop. This is Lightroom. You put all these things together and then you get your collage. So lesson number one, let's begin, you know? And then mm. he then told me, he's like, now you're going to need a camera because you're going to need images a lot. So then I get retrenched right on time and then I get my little payout. And he says, the first thing we're doing, we're getting you a camera yeah, and a good laptop. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. And then we go and then it's like, this is the one you should pick. I mean, I wanted those big ones so that I could look professional. <laughs> <And> it's <laughs> like, 
And he's like, you're so tiny. Like, so think <laughs> properly. You need to be able to carry this Handle everywhere your you go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he's like, you need something that's going to work just for you. So we, I got myself a little Canon M50. It's small. It's portable. I can carry it. You can't really see it's there. And then that's how it began. He gave me lessons. My other photographer friends would also take afternoons off when they had time, show me around and then like go into the city. Is this what you'd like to shoot? Just teaching me how it works. And that's how it started. Mm, mm. I love the way you describe, you know, how when you started with the photography. I think you said you said something like, I feel like my work teaches me things and uh, carries messages for me. Mm. And then you also said, my work also turns me into an audience at some point. It's not about me. It's something bigger than me. Can you elaborate on that? Um, So I feel like my work does teach me things about who I am. Um, I mean, living with anxiety and depression for such a long time, you can imagine the doubts um, that I always have about myself and what I am capable of, you know, Um, because even when I started using the camera, my idea was I'm going to photograph everything around me, but it wasn't working out. I felt like such an intruder making images of other people and having to conceal myself sometimes. It just felt so wrong. Mm, And then one day I was in my mom's room, you know, and I started like, I just opened her closet and I just started smelling the clothing that was in there. And then something just happened that was just like, put on these clothes and then turn the camera onto yourself. And that's what I did. And I felt like instantly it wasn't about me anymore. This Mm. was not about me. Mm. I don't walk around, I don't walk around like Mm. topless and making those kinds. I was like, this is definitely not about me Mm. and it just taught me that I am capable you know that I can create and I can make things and I can seize my own moments so that's what I felt for me and just that thing that you know growing up needing that reassurance that you can do things you are capable you are worthy Mm. also of like the things that you yearn for and for me that's what my work has really really taught me and then taught me also the power of just like manifestation and of wanting better for myself because I mean when your self-esteem is not like that great which is something that I've also just been struggling with in my life in general but then this is my work and I need to do it justice you know Mm. Um, Mm. so at least then I can transfer whatever energy that I feel my work deserves and I can see it through. Mm. Um, If it's not going to be about me, then at least it will be about my gifts, which is creating. Mm. So that's what my work um, has really done for me. And it's healed me like a lot, 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 because I don't know how, but somehow when I do create, I just, yeah, I just feel like there's a bigger presence that is guiding me to do this work. And I mean, as Black people, our families, I feel like even in our bloodline, creativity has always been there. Art has always been there. But can you imagine all of our people who passed on without really getting to explore that aspect? Or even when it was, it wasn't valued or they no. couldn't make a yeah. yeah, And things like that, you know. And I feel like, I just feel like I'm the lucky one. And I feel like they're all behind me in doing this thing. I mean, I hear stories about my great-grandmother and she was an Indigenous instrument player and all of those things. And I see how my mom is so precise with everything she does. My mom will like, she'll iron her whole curtain for the whole house. <laughs> like she, she's just like, I want it like this, you know? And I feel like that. And you're so meticulous. Like, you know what you want, you know how you want it to be, even if it takes you the whole week. And she's just that person. And how she even makes our house look and like the garden and how she's so particular. My mom can paint her own house. Like, it's just that she doesn't have time, but she's that woman, you know? And 
I'm just like, okay, yeah, this, yeah. I, it shows me that from a great line of like creators and people who know beauty and have taste. And know <laughs> for me, how that's to like live. a thing. Yeah. Yes, and I'm. I feel like my work has also taught me that to not overlook my environment, to not overlook the small things. Mm. So mm. yeah. Mm. Isn't it funny, though? I mean, I'm just thinking, you're also from Soweto, and I grew up there, and there was always the house with the banging garden, you know? Like, the grass is the greenest, the flowers are placed precisely at the right corner and in the right sequence of colors, and, you know, you don't think of it like that, but, you know, these are people who are creative, and, um, yeah. That is my mother's house, exactly that. Um, that is my mother. That is the family that I come from. My grandmother was also the same. I mean, my grandmother ran a king tavern, not even mm-hmm. tavern, in shipping. She been <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, but I tell people all the time, like, it wasn't typical, it's not what you think shabins are when you think of like black people and shabins like my grandmother's shabin had a fireplace like you know and mm. it was so busy mm. all the time people would come from work and you know they would come and have their drinks but i sat at the table at 7 p.m every night and i had my dinner my grandmother always made sure we are sitting at the same table and we are having dinner at 7 p.m and we'd have people all around us and the fireplace would be there and it was that kind of environment all the people who came knew me they knew there was a child here so they act a certain way they know how to conduct themselves and it's not typically what people tend to think sure. about when they think like I'm a Shebin and all of that thing my grandmother would make me read to like the people who would come and be like my daughter can read now so I'd stand there and have the newspaper and she made sure every day there's a newspaper in the morning and you wouldn't even find like a bottle cap like on the floor in the morning my grandmother is up at six o'clock the yard is clean it smells fresh you can't even tell what was happening or that she closed at 2 p 2 a.m. that morning, you know? Social space. Yeah. It's a yeah. gathering place, yeah. basically. Mm. 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 So I take it you never bothered to look for a job after <laughs> <laughs> after being retrenched. <laughs> no, and that made my mother so bad. <laughs> She's still recovering. <laughs> <laughs> Traumatic. Yes, yes. But, um, you know, can you tell me about the evolution of your work? The first project of yours that I came across was, uh, I think it's When the Madam's Away, the Maids Will Slay or something like that. Yes, The Help Will Slay. The hel- yeah, okay. Was that your first project? That was my first project. That's the one I worked with, uh, with Bantu and Komoto. Ah, okay, the right, right. Okay. So how has your work evolved from then to where you are today? So, um, I mean, when I first started out, it was a lot, I think, social commentary. I felt this pressure. And I guess the influences that I had also at the time, I felt this pressure to to be relevant, man. You know, um, I think that happens a lot with like creatives as well, where people are just like, oh, OK, you're talking about, let's say, for instance, you're a vegan. Nobody cares about that. That's not relevant. You're facing other political issues. And there's just always man, that thing, even in music, you know, even in poetry. If someone is out here talking about love, you're just like, nah, but have you seen what the government is doing? Why are you not angry? 
you know? So I felt that pressure as well. Like, okay, in order for me to be relevant, then I need to talk about things that are on people's minds, you know? But then at some point it just clicked and I was like, relevant to who? For what? I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's when my art started becoming personal. And it started becoming personal with the self-portraiture. It then focused on my own journey, on my own healing, and just who I was as a person. And I think that's where I even started to enjoy it more. That's when it even had more impact. Because, I mean, people relate anyway. And I also had to decide for myself, like, who is my audience? And in the end, it was always me, you know? If you catch on and you love it, I'm happy that that's happening. But... I cannot prioritize other people's voices over my own and for my own work. So that's basically how it evolved. It went from me assuming the role of art director and being too scared to handle my own camera and all of that Mm. to then turning the camera onto me and to having my stories be as personal as they can be. Because it really is with my in my art that I get for me it's like a journal, you know. Um Mm. I get Mm. to journal Mm. my own progress and my own um, journey as it happens I just happen to do it through art because there's a time where you see I'm doing more like spiritually um, inspired or focused because Mm -hmm. that's definitely what I'm going through at that time and I feel the need to just like express it you know there's times where you see that oh my god this is all about like beauty and the black woman and style and whatnot because that's definitely how I'd be feeling at that time and that's what I want to express at that time Mm -hmm. Mm My guest on Shades and Layers today is Johannesburg-based digital collage artist Bulyang Mungale. And in this next part of our conversation, we discuss what her creative process involves, how she got to a point where she was confident to use her photographic and uh, digital collage skills and attaching monetary value to her own art, um, the latest projects that she's involved with, and some of the resources that help her to become basically the best version of herself. So tell me about your process, your creative process. I know you go into another zone, but, you know, there are materials together, you know, thoughts to explore, angles to explore, etc. So what's your, I shouldn't say creative process, your execution process? Where does all of this okay. happen, etc.? Okay, so um, I have a very intimate relationship with clothing. Um, like I said, mm. even in my family, um, yeah, my mom has always sent clothes home. So I don't even really buy clothes. The clothes I wear, I get from like home when I go home and then I thrift in their closets and then I take the clothes and then I come back with them. So even in my mom's closet, she's got like a big closet and she's very neat and how she puts the things together. So I know just the section to go to. So I will do that. <laughs> it will start with clothing. I am locking my cupboards if you ever visit my house. <laughs> yes, it starts with the clothes. Um, right. And like I said, they've, they've got a certain, I mean, scent. Even even the clothes that I've gotten from home, once I bring them to my house, they don't have the same scent as the scent in my mom's house. So just putting them close to my nose, that always triggers something. It feels like a pathway. I don't know how to quite describe it. Mm. But that will trigger something. I mean, it's stretch, right? That fabric, no spam, mm. it's like... Mm. 
it smells like it's shesha, you know. Um, so that will usually, it will start with that. I will then look at the clothing. I will put it on, see what I'm getting from it. And then once that's done, then I set up to make my images. I will do that. I will set up and then I will do that. And then I will see what I have. And then I will dump all the photographs on my PC. And then the editing process begins for me. And I will literally read the image. So I don't, I don't like to conceptualize, to be honest with you, because I feel that it can be very limiting because we tend to have a certain idea of what we want to create and then it doesn't quite turn out that way. So what do you then do? You keep putting, yes, and then you suddenly have all these barriers of like, okay, now you're moving backwards. I I don't like to do that. I do one take um, and then I work Mm. with what I've got. Mm. so um i will take it and then i'll edit so even in the editing process i'm not like oh i wanted to feel no the image literally will guide me to say i feel like this i feel like the 1800s or Mm. i feel like 1980 and that is what i will go for and (laughs) this is something that's so weird because i'm so color coordinated and i feel like people will never really get to see that because a lot of my images then tend to look old and come out in sepia or black and white but (laughs) they are very colorful. Like it, the art direction is, is there. And I spend a lot of time doing that, but I know I might lose it at some point in my creation process because that's just not what the work demands. Mm. So I'm willing to use that. Mm. So I will then edit and then the image will tell me what it wants to feel like. And then that's what I will do. I will go with that and my intuition. Then I'll take a day or so and step away from everything. Think about it sometimes if I'm going to go to bed, like visualize this thing that I want, you know, that I'm seeing and try to somehow channel it the next time I touch my PC. And then I will go and I will go into Photoshop and then I will take my images, I will cut them out. And I'm very obsessed with like composition. I like it when there's just like a lot of things and then it sort of forms its own image. That's the thing I'm crazy about. If I can get the composition, then I know I've got the artwork. Mm. And then I will mm. do that. And then I also like making images of landscapes. So I have a lot of landscapes like yeah. on my PC because I go around and make images of landscapes. And then I will just play with them, put them in, put them out, see what just works and what sticks. And then once my collage is done, I also take another day, step away from it. I come back the next day. I edit it again on Lightroom because now I wanted to feel like one piece because when it's on Photoshop, it's a whole lot of pieces put together. And then I will go and make it become one thing. So the editing helps me do that via the grading. So I will choose which grading I'm going to use. And then it just comes together in that way. And then I know I'm done. Mm. When did you get the confidence to say, this is work I can present, this is work I can sell? I don't think I've even gotten to that point like by myself. It was usually other people saying that to me, um, other people who would take interest in the work. And I feel so grateful, you know, because I mean, I my job ended and then I had to do this thing, but it happened so quickly. Literally from 2019, I've been selling artwork and even artwork that you can see that this girl didn't know what she was doing but for some reason <laughs> it will resonate with the buyer you know I mean there's other my earliest things that are not even clean where you can see that I just cut this thing out and it's just a hot mess but for some reason somebody would see value in it even to this day it's still difficult for me to do pricing and things like that but also I have an agent um, Lady Choose is my agent and I guess I found the right fit because they're the people who sort of like 
try to guide me in like the value of my work, you know, mm-hmm. that you can see things in this way, you can set a price in this way. And it's just been such an organic like growth and experience. And I'm grateful for that because sometimes we don't know what we are capable of, but when you've got the right management and with the right intentions, you know, mm-hmm. you then also start seeing the value of what you are doing. But like I say, it's been so organic because I've had galleries approach me and they're like, why are you selling this for 8,000 rand? This should be 40. And those are people I try to be wary of. I'm like, no. But also if you've done your research, you'll know that I've been in the game for two years and this is not the best I can. Like, mm-hmm. this is not, at, I'm not at my, yeah, I'm sure there's more that I can still do. Yes, the work is great, but like, I still need to go in harder. Like, and I know that that's still going to happen. There's more to explore. There's bigger things to do with my work. And I feel like this is just the beginning. It's introducing me to something else. Mm. But how does that feel? You know, when you're doing work that you're pouring your soul into and someone attaches a value to it, like a monetary value, you know? Mm -hmm. It's crazy, you know? Um, And I try not to like think too deeply about it because also I'm just like, trying to make my living. And I think at some point, the value is not necessarily going to be money, but the experiences that my work will give me access to. And I think for me, that's when I would feel that I am getting the value out of my work. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I get like the money thing because other people think, oh, if I just sell 10 artworks, I've made it. You're lying. You're playing yourself. It, I've sold so many and I, I haven't made it, you know. Right. Uh, but I feel like, yeah, I feel like the journey is so tied to like a long journey, you know, that's even started before me. And I feel like my work is going to take me into spaces that I could have never even imagined. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all of those experiences and not... I think like whether it's traveling, whether it's whatnot, I feel like it's just going to expose me and put me in the places that I need to be. It's going to expose me to so much more mm. that then I will feel like this is value that money can't buy, but it will come to me, you know, not necessarily because the buyer, yes, the buyer has value of it. It's an artwork, it's whatever. But my experience is, I feel it's going to be one that's not tangible, but it's going to add so much value to my life and my existence and the history that I am trying to live, like leave behind long after I am gone, you know? Mm. And I feel like that's the real value, like mm. of my work. Yeah. So do you treat your work like a business? Lately. <laughs> Lately. Mm, yeah. I ask Lately. because it's a hard balance to strike. So I just want to hear your take on things as far as that goes? Yes, lately, um, I do, um, you know, and we live in an era of social media now and we also see our peers and the people we we look up to and people making all of these moves. But I try to not bombard myself with any of that. I try to remember my own story and why I do what I do, even though I do treat it as a business, but it's not like a money first type of business. There are things that I do turn down if they don't feel like good for me or good for the direction that I am trying to take but in terms of treating it like a business yes I need to pay my bills yes I need to afford the things that I need I need to 
I have a child to raise, I have a car to pay, I have rent to pay, I have all of those things um, that I need to contribute towards. So yes, in that aspect, I do. I Because I mean, I, to be honest, I don't need much to create. And that's also something that I'm grateful for. I literally use anything that I have that is around me. So I'm grateful for that because I mean, with others, you need like big equipment and all of those things. Mm-hmm. I just need my camera, I need lights, I need location, and I'm good to go. And my PC and my work is there, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I treat it as a business in that sense that I need to make a living and it's a capitalistic world and yep. I'm not going to get anywhere if I don't treat it as something that does feed me. Mm-hmm. So what are you working on at the moment? Oh, what am I working on at the moment? Well, all the shows I've had, this, they've just closed. Um, so I've, I'm working on a scarf collection, um, collaboration that we've done, a limited edition of 30 scarves. Um, that I did with Latitudes and Lament at 44 Stanley. So that's really cool. They've managed to make like 100% soul scarves out of the artwork. And yeah, it's it's beautiful. So it's a collaboration with like six other artists. So all six artists have their scarves. So yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm just like creating every day and seeing like other ways to move in my space and in my art. I also want to get into like clothing. Um, I mean, I mentioned earlier that it's something that I've always like mm-hmm. loved doing mm-hmm. since I was a child. So I'm also trying to figure out other ways because I'm realizing I'm not just one thing. There are mm-hmm. other things that I also like to pour my heart into, you know, um, and definitely clothing is like one of them. And the other day, one of the guys here at the studio that I share the studio with um, a photographer, he came back home and he came with a sewing machine. And I'm like, look at God. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, but I just... I just like things to be organic. I just mm. like to work and write down my intentions and my vision board and all the things that I would like. And then I just, I feel like my daily work, even though I don't really earn something for it right there and then, or it never even, I feel like it all adds up to all these moments that I pray for. And, you know, yeah. Mm. Who are your mentors? My partner, to be honest, has been like a great mentor, like to me. He's one of like the best teachers ever. I mean, um, he has also like taught like animation and things like that because that's more his style. He's into like illustration. But Mm -hmm. to be honest, I don't know if I would be doing the work that I do had our paths not crossed. Like we literally work together, live together, share everything together, ideas. And, you know, and it's so nice that we in like, I guess, same industry. And he's taught me everything that I know. Like even with an outdoor, people don't really know this, but I don't really like say finish until I've like showed it to him. And I'm like, right. yes, put put your eye on this. Tell mm. me what's up. Tell mm. me what you're getting from this. You know, like I always appreciate his input. I always appreciate his vision. And that's, the, he's a visionary, you know, which was something because of my uh, confidence issues and things like that. I felt like I was paired with, just the right person because he's a visionary. Mm. But when I started learning to dream and seeing that things are possible, it was when I started like hanging out with him and just seeing how he would like want something and then it would like happen. He would work towards it and it would happen. And I fed off that energy for like the longest time, even just in our household, you know, and it's just like, we should get a TV. I'm like, oh, TVs are expensive. And then next month, you know, he's the guy's like, yeah, we got a TV. So <laughs> he's been, yeah. So he's, <laughs> yeah, he's a been manifesto. just what I needed. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, he's been just what I needed and so supportive and so great and always like teaching me new stuff. Like, yeah, the artwork is there, but imagine if you could do this, you know, and he's always just opening my eye up to like a whole other thing because he's a geek. Like he's always just like on, <laughs> on the screen and doing all of these weird things that he does. But I'm thankful for that. And also my friends, man, I've got like, my friends are great. Like they're great with words of affirmation. They're great with support. They're great with just like, you know, sincerity, telling me what's good and what's not, you know? Mm, um, mm. Yeah. So I guess I've had mentorship in, yeah. It's so I've never had to step out of my actual life in order to attain the things that I do. It's like, they've always just been there and through the people that I am surrounded by and my friendships that have been spending for like, long time you know mm. I feel like I've never had to go outside I've never had to look for a validation and all of those things elsewhere I've always just had good people around me yeah. and also latitudes since I've been working with them Lucy and Roberta they're also just great when people just get you and they get what you're trying to do with your work and they respect your boundaries even in terms of work even though it's business but when you say no it's no and they mm. respect that mm. you know when we're making decisions it's a conversation they don't just come to you and be like oh this is a you should do this it's a great opportunity we make no it's a conversation and if i'm not for it good i'm not for it we let it go you know that's yeah. nice so you've got a great community around you mm, yes great this is shades and layers and now it's time to talk about Buleng's personal story, starting with her top three memories from childhood. We also talk about how her sense of displacement led to mental health issues and how community and ceremony are an essential part of the healing journey. Here's more on how she started healing her spirit. So let's go to the story of uh, you growing up in Soweto, as we mentioned. What are the top three things that come to mind when you think about your time as a child? Oh my word, top three. I don't know if I can do three, but I'll, yeah, but I have this memory. So like I said, I grew up in my grandmother's house and I had my uncles and aunts and everybody there. So I remember this one time, my cousins were visiting at my grandmother's house and this Fulugia Echik, I don't know if you know Chik. <laughs> I, you, I learned to swimming. swim there. That's my backyard. <laughs> oh yeah. So we wanted to go to Jake, you know, but yeah. my mom was renting a back room like down the street. So my cousins were a bit older. I think maybe five years I was five they were probably like 11 and so me I had another cousin we were the same age and then these other two were older than us so they're like yeah my son didn't say Jake so we're sitting with my uncle that day and my grandmother was not there so he's like I'm not going to give you money for that so they, we decide to walk down to where my mom stays but she looks at me and my little cousin and she's like you guys are little though. what are you doing at Jake well anyway she gives us the money and then we get home and we show my uncle like okay we've got the money now we're going and my uncle is like no so he gives the two bigger girls the money and it's like you guys can go Samaya but these two are staying with me and did we not have the time of our lives he had a sprinkler for us in the front he blew up a little pool that he had I don't know where he got it from he blew it up and then he put water and he had buckets of water and we wore our tights in the front yard and he was just pouring us and splashing us with water and we had a nice chill and then when I'm up we are edging they were like so worn out and we were just vibing we've been eating and like you know we were fed and it was nice and in the comfort of like our own home and yeah my uncle was that person just like the life of the party and yeah he's late now Yeah. yeah so Actually, I miss him a lot. Like, he mm. passed away in 2001, but I remember a lot that I used to do with him. Um, mm. And actually, nice, he yeah. was, 
Yeah, and I'm remembering now that my uncle was actually like a gay man, but like closeted gay man. He was mm. a tall, handsome man, very stylish. But at the time, I didn't really get it, you know. And he was very out there and like life of the party kind mm. of gent. And he was actually mm. my dad's best friend. They grew up together. And he was just like that man. But I'm only understanding now as I get older that, oh, okay, so all the secrecy and all these things that were happening was because my uncle was a gay man oh. in the 90s, you know? Mm. So I'm like, mm. I wonder how it would have been like for him now and all, you know, the expression that is like the more tolerant, like the tolerance that we do have now and, you know, and all the amazing things that, you know, people like him, like queer people can get to achieve and just be themselves and have wholesome lives. I really wish he was alive for that. Mm. But I remember even like he'd make me clean up his room and he'd like if you clean up this room you're gonna look so stunning for school and I would clean his room yo I would clean and I would clean and then he'd give me like nice plates and I'd be so happy about it or sometimes it's like if you clean up here then you can jump on the bed like for as long as you want and like he always had like these little rewards and things you know that he'd always do so, and he just yeah. always had time for me mm-hmm. yeah so when my mom would go to work and all of that and also just like my grandmother and how she loved to cook so much and yeah how I'd go everywhere with my grandmother but yeah my grandmother's also like quite like a party girl um I remember <laughs> this one time because she liked like tea parties and whatnot so sometimes we'd host sometimes it's her friends or her sisters and we'd go and this one time my grandmother forgot about me she got to the party and and she left me. And she <laughs> dude, like it was lit and Makoko left me. So <laughs> and I was that child, like I was so attached to her. So you can imagine Manguga, it's like 2 a.m. My grandmother's not there, it's quiet, everybody's left. So actually, I fell asleep, and my grandmother was just like, ah, okay. And then and I was crying. They literally had to call my uncle at like 6 a.m. to be like, Hey, come get your handbag, come get your grandmother's <laughs> handbag. We can't. And then my grandmother, my uncle had to walk all the way from Go Orlando class and then come and take me and then take me back to my grandmother. And also another fond memory I have is of my mom. My mom used to surprise me a lot. Like she still does to this day. Um, I remember the one time we were staying in our little bedroom when she was renting and I was with her and she used to work at like a retail shop at the time uh, in Hyde Park. Mm. And then she'd say to me, please go behind the pillow and um, get my purse. I want to see something. And then I'd go and when I'd just like move the pillow, you know, the goodies, I've got jelly shoes, (laughs) I've got paint, I've got sweets. Oh my, oh, I was like my mom, my mom was the best. She's still that girl with like the surprise like all the time so yeah yeah nice so you know i'm hearing a wholesome life i know you were removed from your grandmother suddenly but i have to ask what are you healing through your work (sighs) that feeling of displacement i feel like i mean also it's a so yeah my family is quite a very dynamic situation so um even my grandmother that i talk about who i lost wako orlando is Mm. she's not my mother's biological mother but my mom's aunt so my mom comes from the state Mm it's very small town Mm -hmm. um at at the time their family wasn't doing really well and my grandmother decided she didn't have so my mom's aunt she didn't have um a daughter so she took my mom when she was like 12 years old. Mm. So even though I did grow up Kosoweto, um, I mean, even Libo and Abatuwa Kosoweto tend to sometimes have this 
better than attitudes about people who are outside of like how they you know that thing mm-hmm. and i felt like even in my own family the shame of that like was there because how about my dad give out and they stay back opposite my maternal side is my dad's side that same guy so when I'd go to that side, when I'd come back, it's like, ah, you know, and when they just have these weird remarks, or like, oh yeah, like, oh, you're brown hair, like, and like, it affected me as a child, because I was like, but I'm your family, so where exactly do I fit in, you know, and then when I do things, and like, oh, it's a total assault, like, and I was just like, so I asked myself, I'm like, what is going on? Like, until I meant to go to no, if the state's which is they the I guess the family the poor family type of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you do things that they think are not progressive, it's like I you belong there. You know. So sometimes there'd be those things that I just didn't understand. You know, and even got to a point where I didn't want to go to free state. I don't want to be associated with those people. Mm-hmm. I think they backward or whatever. They poor. You know that type of thing. But when I got into my teens, I felt really, really, really sick. Like I was sick and then I was admitted to hospital. And obviously it was like a psych ward and whatnot. And it was a diagnosis, major depression and anxiety and whatnot. But then a friend of my mother's was like, I think you should take another, get another outlook on this thing. You know, something big, well, it could be something else and it's being diagnosed as something else. So just get it checked out. That lady, I remember, took me to a healer with my mom. And then that's when we learned about like Badimu and this thing that is happening. So we alerted my uncle and they were like, no, pulling hunted she's got her great grandmother's name, Libizo Halakubiwa. So So that's what we need to go into. My grand my uncle came, he took a Friday off work and he was like, let's go. I swear I wasn't talking at that point. I had lost so much weight. I'm a tiny person, but I was like so small not talking, not doing anything. I was just like a shadow of myself. My uncle came, was like, we need to do this ritual for this child. Let's go home. We drove to the free state and the welcome that was there, like people were already ready. You know, making sure the sheep is there, all the things that we're going to need. And just that that love and that community, my mom's childhood friends, my aunts, everybody was there waiting for us. And then we did the ritual the next day. And can I tell you, like, we left on Sunday afternoon and I was proper. I was mm, good. Mm. And then that's when I started, I was 19, I think, that time. And then that appreciation for what it means to be me and what all these families, my paternal, my maternal, my Sowetan home and all of that and the roles that they all had to play in my life. I started to see Uguti. I'm not a child who belongs to just one side of the family, you know, mm. like... I'm Kingwanawa mm. everybody, Kingwanawa mm. the whole community, and I am held by all communities. People mm. show up for me when they have to show up and when it's time. And that's when I started, you know, like having this great interest of trying to know who I was beyond my experience, also Weto, mm. you know. Mm. Um, and going deeper yeah, into your roots. Yeah. Exactly. So ever since then, even with my work, it's that displacement that I've been trying to sort of like heal and I do that by trying to um, integrate myself into all these communities even when I go home I mean I'm not a very social person I keep to myself but I try to interact like with people in the neighborhood if I try to show up so that I get a sense of 
like life is not just Joburg. Life mm-hmm. is not just what mm-hmm. you know, you know. So I try to interact as much as I can. I try to learn how to speak that. I mean, they tease me all the time because I interchange. I go from Zulu to Sutu and I'm that person. Like typical and, you know, Soweto. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and they laugh at me for things like that. And we can all laugh about it. And that's what I'm trying to heal, you know, that mm. maybe I don't belong in just one place. And I've got homes everywhere. And I'm just trying to sort of like embrace that because for a long time, the Sotho part of my heritage was like hidden and it was something that I was supposed to be ashamed of because of the kind of family that my mother was from, you know, but I'm just like, but that's my family Mm -hmm. and I love these people Mm -hmm. and I know that Mm -hmm. they love me and it's just wholesome and it's just, it's just love. And I am so, so grateful that I have them. They're my family, you know, all of them. Mm. So if you had to write a memoir, what would it be called and why? Mm, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe something cheesy like um, uh, Pieces of Me. I'd get somebody to refine that title. But yeah, (laughs) something along that. Yeah, something along those lines. Mm. So when you write a biography, right, you put your education and whatever. What is the one thing that you leave out and you would like people to know about you? I think it's like that I live life as an experiment. I don't have anything figured out. Even in my work, it might seem all put together and whatnot, but really everything is an experiment for me. And I love that I can get to start over like every single day. So mm. that's the one thing. Because, you know, when you're writing about your work, you need to sound so self-assured. Like yeah. it's like you're selling <laughs> the story about who you are. But actually, I wing, I wing everything. I'm... Yeah, like I'm not as straightforward as as my biography reads. Actually, not at all. Not at all. So yeah, I life is an experiment for me. I treat it as such. Every day is a new day to Wonderful. take on something different. Yeah. Yep. So that's it from me. I've had such a great conversation. I think I've literally just said all that I could say. Uh, yeah, it was so wholesome. So I just want to thank you for not being like a typical interview. Oh my God, I've been turning down interviews lately because damn, people aren't really trying to get to know you, you know, but I feel like with this, it was just so wholesome. I had a great conversation. I could speak about whatever I wanted to speak about and just um, thank you so much. For no, running. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. And if people want to find Find you online. Instagram, Huleng Mongale. I'm Huleng Mongale everywhere. And that is all from me today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and I look forward to staying in touch with you until the next episode. You can always find me on Instagram via the handle Shades and Layers Podcast, which is one word. I'm Kutluanos Kosana Ritchie. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, please do take good care.